Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. My name is Tobias Zimmergren, and I'm back again with Yusi Roine. What's up? Hey, Toby. All good here. So top of mind. Summer started today in Finland. And, and when I say summer, I mean it is warm outside. Not like Malmö warm or Florida warm, but Finnish but no warm. Snow. <laughs> no snow, no sleet, it's not raining, it's not windy. So everybody I see outside is wearing a t-shirt now. And it is, let me check, it is plus 13 Celsius at the Very moment. Very nice. That's summer for us, at least for now. But beyond that, school is out. So I finally graduated and, and got my diploma. But sadly, my faculty doesn't have funny hats or capes or, or swords or anything like that. So I only have the diploma. It's in my bookshelf. So that's done. And I needed to find, you know, like a new hobby with all the, all the excess time I have at my hands. So I figured I will build my own local data center. So that's a project now. The downside is I've got some of those servers already in my data center and it's in the same room as my home office. And it is now within the rack cabinet, it's 29 Celsius, which means in my home office, it's 26 Celsius indoors. So I need to figure out somehow to cool it down for the coming months. I think that's the next project then, uh, liquid cooling or something like that. I'm sure you can find reasons to buy some more gadgets. I, I think so too. There's, <laughs> there's always an opportunity to, to figure out how to upgrade, how to make things better. And that often involves getting something built or acquired or bought. So nice. how about for you? So for me, I guess the, uh, the main update that I'm doing, which is kind of outside of the IT realm as such is I'm attending a couple of courses at Harvard, which is online. And I am scheduled for some of their, you know, more popular actual courses, which will be held remotely with a lot of group work and a lot of assignments and uh, a lot of stuff like that, which is, you know, kind of uh, outside of the comfort zone in, in the sense that it's more about uh, business entrepreneurship and uh, leadership. Whereas most of the things we do today is about IT side uh, of the business. Even if that comes with a lot of leadership, there's always some room for improvement. So it's a lot of fun to attend these uh, Harvard courses. Right now I'm using this platform called edX, which has something called Harvard X, which is their kind of online platform. So that's kind of cool. Uh, it doesn't cost too much, so it's accessible and it is possible for anyone in the world to kind of enroll into those. And I'm seeing this mainly as a preparation for the actual Harvard courses then that I'm scheduled to, uh, to attend. So that's kind of cool. Um, spending some of my spare time on that, much to the joy of the rest of my family, obviously, and going back to the school bench, but you would know all about that. Yeah, it's, it's challenging. But at the same time, I feel it's perfectly doable. But you just have to let go of something else and and for me for the past two years while doing school on the side it was about letting go of netflix and random dinners and some business travels and all sorts of things that i felt 
are, are not useful to me perhaps at that moment or are something I can do later or I don't really need to do like watching endless amount of movies, even though it's fun, but you, you may need to make space in, in order to learn something new. And I think that's the essence of IT at the same time. You need to let go of something you already know to make space for, for learning something new. Yeah, and time management, this is the key. Um, and it's the key obviously to everything we do in life. Um, but for me, this is, yeah, this is how I get by and juggling family life and being a parent and having the role I have with my job and, you know, and everything else that comes um, along the lines. So time management is essential, definitely. Um, I just put aside one to two hours every day in the morning, usually before the rest of the family wakes up and it's easily done. And then I'm, I'm ready by seven. I start my normal work and yeah, that's it. Already done. That, that's really impressive. I tried that approach. But that was the time when my uh, then two-year-old would wake up at five. So I figured I do not <laughs> want to wake up at three in order to make, to, to make something happen. Understandable. Okay. So today our topic is creating custom connectors in Azure for Power Platform. So this is an interesting thing, uh, mainly because we're focusing on the Azure side even though everything we will be talking about in relation to custom connectors is something you use from Power Platform. So perhaps we spend a little bit of time first to talk about Power Platform. Is, is that something you use in your daily life? Is, is that something you've, you've been learning and studying on? Or is it something more that you figure, okay, it's something else. It's not part of the skill sets I need to have at the moment. Valid question. Have used it in a limited way, but it, you know the nature of the company I work with now. We're kind of a startup, so we're a small company. We have a lot of great developers in house as well. So whenever we need something, we can build it quickly, and we're more efficient building something ground up than to use kind of the puzzle pieces of Power Platform. That said. Uh, I have used it and built also apps that can be more easily integrated into enterprises. So it's a, it's a nice way to kind of quickly build uh, logical applications that fit any business, depending on the business needs, of course. And it's kind of, I recall uh, like this rapid prototyping we used to do, rapid application prototyping we used to do in the past, where we kind of had a, a tool or, or made a mock-up of something. But with Power Platform, it's it's a similar experience to me. But we actually get a working product in the end that an enterprise with you know thousands of users can actually use. So it's a it's a great way. But I, I can't say that I'm using it in my current job in my current role. And the size of our company, we don't really have the need to build many custom solutions. Okay, so Power Platform, it's it's surprisingly much in demand nowadays and and that's one of the business areas my company focuses on so we do mainly azure but oftentimes we sort of expand to power platform especially when when a customer's business has a specific need so in in case power platform is not familiar to somebody in the audience it's microsoft's other cloud so there's dynamics 365 there's microsoft 365 there's azure and then there's Power Platform. 
and and often how I think of these four different clouds is that I, I think of them as marketing brands and often uh, behind the scenes they, they they are mixed a little bit so you might have some capability in power platform that is actually something you would use from Azure or Dynamics 365 even though in in terms of sales and licensing it would be a different set but technically it might be an identical functionality you use on on different clouds within the Microsoft universe so as of today Power Platform consists of Power Apps, and that's the tool for building applications for businesses. And it consists of Power Automate, and this used to be called Flow, uh, allowing you to automate or create workflows and automations and orchestrations. And it includes Power BI for visualizing and creating reports, and Power Virtual Agents for allowing you to create chatbots as an example. So, so these four products are usually when people talk about Power Platform, what they mean. And then as supporting products or services, you have Dataverse. And this used to be called the Common Data Services, which is based on the Common Data Model. You have AI Builder. And then you have these custom or data connectors. So, so to, today we are focusing on this last bit the custom connectors, and depending on what product you're using within Power Platform, you might be talking about data connectors or custom connectors. But today, it, we, we mean the same thing when we talk about custom connectors. So that's, in essence, what Power Platform is. And custom connectors, then. Uh, perhaps we open this up a bit with the built-in connectors. So, so you have two types of connectors within Power Platform. You have the standard one and the premium one. And as you might guess, it's based on, on licensing. So are you an expert on Power Platform licensing then? Because I know you're an expert on a lot of things and I trust you're an expert on licensing as well. You know, there are entire divisions at companies working with licensing. And I recently read a, a paper or a blog post from let's call them one of the biggest IT companies in the world, where they offered a nine-month-long training on licensing uh, for some of their products. I'm not getting into that. I have <laughs> taken a look, and then I shut my eyes. I turned around, and I went made a cup of coffee instead and tried to forget what I was looking at. It was a bit confusing, um, truth be told. I don't know if that has changed, but when it comes to licensing, especially for the power platform. Like I mentioned before, I have not worked with it that much. We don't have a need for it at the moment and our customers don't use it at the moment. So I, I have very limited experience and exposure to licensing specifically. So I would say I'm a fairly novice when it comes to, uh, to that. Maybe things have changed, but I would assume that there are some gotchas when it comes to licensing. Yeah, and, and with Power Platform, the licensing used to be much more simpler. And this was years ago. In late 2016, I was at a conference talking about Power Apps and Power Automate, which was called Flow at the time. And, and these were still in, in early preview at the time. And I figured, let me do this one hour talk to force me to learn also about these products. And at the time... 
I could fit the licensing details in one slide. You need this or that and you're good. But today, perhaps because Power Platform has so much functionality, the licensing, I wouldn't say it's messy, but it has a lot of different angles depending on how you're planning on using it against which platform and, and also what capabilities. So for the focus of this episode, when we aim to create custom connectors, let's not go too deep into licensing at all, but perhaps it's enough to say that when you create a custom connector that you can use from Power Apps or Power Automate to connect with your custom data or custom APIs, you typically need to also spend some time with licensing to figure out what sort of a license do I need for my users so that they can utilize this custom connector that I've built. Let's leave licensing at that. But then why do you need to create a custom connector before we actually get to how do you create them and, and how do you host them in Azure? And I've, I've spent a bit of time on this thinking that what's the purpose of creating a custom connector? Why cannot I just go to my low-code, no-code developer, which is usually a business user? Why cannot, why cannot I not have a discussion with them and say, there's an HTTP connector. It allows you to do REST calls. So just use that. So, so Toby, I, I know that you've spent a lot of time with APIs and REST calls and, and OAuth2 and all of these things. So if somebody who's not perhaps a developer would ask you, so, so how do I call this API? What do I need to worry about? Would you say it's something you can easily fill them up in, in 30 minutes and say, okay, this is how it goes. And then now, now you're well-versed on that. Or would you say this requires a, a, a lot of background to understand how do I talk with this custom API as an example? You know, that's a, it's a good question, but it's also depending on the context, the context of who I'm talking to and the context of the API where we want to connect and also the context of what do we want to do with the data? Is it only to retrieve data? Do we need to send data? Do we need to kind of um, do something with the data? Do we need to crunch it? Do we need to calculate? Do we need to... Uh, transfer the data somewhere else do we yeah there's a lot of kind of variables into that question that uh, would make the answer go in different directions i would say that if the business user or the citizen developer or the low code no code developer is well versed in you know the tooling that can be enough to actually get data out of an api and send it off to a list or call a webhook or whatever you want to do Sometimes the APIs can be a bit more complex where you first need to make an API call to get a list of something. And when you have the list, you then need to make another API call for each individual item in the list. And then based on that, depending on what the values of the returned items are, you might need to take a specific action. And if the value is one or if the value is approved or whatever it can be coming back from the API, you need to do something else. And when the logic becomes more complex, so does your understanding or the requirement of your understanding of how an API works and how to make those calls. So there's no easy way to answer the question. There's only more questions to be asked based on that question. So the typical consultant answer, it depends. That's a good answer. I recently had a chat with uh, somebody in my company, a colleague of mine, and he was using 
a commercial API uh, that's produced and hosted by a commercial company uh, here in the Nordics. And, and the purpose was to pull financial data and, and use it as something else. And the API documentation simply said, here's the endpoint, here's how you authenticate, and that's it. And often as a developer, you approach this and say, okay, I can, I can make this work. I, I will just call the API and see what comes back. And what was interesting in this is that my developer did the initial call to the API, authenticated successfully, and then tried to pull data and, and he would get a set of, set of data. He would then redo the same query and got a fully different set of data. So there's, there, there, it, it seemed like there, there's no logic in it that you do the same call three times, you get three, three different data sets even if, if you're not expecting that to change. And, and even for a developer, I, I often feel that APIs might not be well-documented or there might be intricacies on the data that the APIs is providing for you that you really need to dive deep into. And that often gets awfully complex and awfully technical. And as you said, the low-code or no-code or the business developer, they don't really have time often to dive deep into that aspect. They just need to get the Power App or the Power Automate up and running by pulling data and doing something with this. So that's sort of where I'm coming from. The need to create a custom connector and how's that in Azure is dependent on what sort of data do you have and if you want to wrap that data in a neat package and give your end users, your business users, an easy way to access your data without them learning REST APIs or web services and, and all sorts of different things they don't really care about. So now moving, moving further in the topic on what, what, what makes the custom connector. And in essence, it's fairly simple. A custom connector is your custom API that you host in Azure and an open API description file that you introduce for Power Platform. Meaning here's the text file in open API format, defining my API, which lives here. And once you've pro uh, processed the open API file, your custom connector becomes available in Power Platform and it then automatically connects with your custom API. So, Am I right in understanding that the open API that used to be called the Swagger file, right? Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a definition, a set of definitions um, and a standard, if you will, for how to build a well-designed API or well-defined API. Um, and, and the good thing about open API and also Swagger, of course, is all the modern tools have support for it. So you can actually define uh, so you can do it two ways. And coming from, as a developer, I might have existing uh, APIs, right? I might have a web API, I might have something, but it doesn't have a Swagger or an open API uh, definition or, or description, but I can export that. So based on my API, I can create the open API file and I can create the definition file and then import it. And that would be one way to get something in here. And the other way is the other way around. You have the definition of what you want to accomplish with an API, but you haven't built it yet. But in building the definition file, you can then use your tooling, whether that is Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code, or something else, 
doesn't matter. There's some good extensions for that. And then you can kind of generate the, uh, the methods that you need or the functions you need for that API to work. So you can do it, you know, both ways, if you will. So yeah, that's usually how I, I approach it. Okay. So the open API, the, the specification, there's different versions on that. And most tooling that I use, Visual Studio 2019 and the latest version of VS Code, they produce Open API 3.0 or 3. Point something. But the challenge here is that Power Platform, when you're introducing your API as a custom connector by, by providing an Open API specification file, Power Platform expects to get that file in Open API 2.0. And it, it turns out there, there's huge differences between these versions. And it's not simply that you open the text file and change the version from three to two that your tooling produced for you. Because Power Platform will say, well, this doesn't look like a valid open API file anymore. So this is, this is perhaps the, the first hurdle you, you have to pass. You have to be able to generate an open API 2.0 file. And, and we'll get back to this in a second. So before we actually look at how do you create the custom connector and how do you decide what you have in Azure, just a side note on Power BI. So we've talked about Power Automate and Power Apps and the support for custom connectors. But for Power BI, it has two capabilities. It can call your REST APIs. There's a built-in functionality for that. Or you can create your custom data connector for Power BI. But that has nothing to do with the custom connectors we are creating now. So Power BI has an internal language for defining those data connectors, and it's called the M language. I spent some time with that about two years ago. I built a couple of custom data connectors. And M language is interesting, but it has nothing to do with C Sharp or .NET. The syntax is different, the structure is different, the project template is different. So perhaps let's not go too deep into that today because that has very little to do with Azure. But now in Power Platform, uh, in order to introduce and, and create your custom connectors so that Power Platform is, is happy with this, we need to decide how do we want to host our API. So, so Toby, if I was a customer and I was asking you to please create a custom API that connects with this set of data in here, what would you do? What, what, what sort of a Azure service would you use to, to, to provide that API functionality if you, if you got to choose anything? So if I got to choose anything and without understanding the, again, the variables and the context of, of that application specifically or the requirements of the API, I would say Azure Functions. It's versatile, serverless, um, scalable, you can do a lot of things with it, um, secured hosting. You can control network flows. You can control the traffic. You can choose authenticated versus anonymous easily. Um, you have a lot of control, uh, especially if, you, if you're a developer and you're building this ground up um, or if you're connecting your existing APIs, you can do it through a function as well to expose that. Um, so for me, I would probably think in the lines of Azure functions, but there's a lot of options. So I, I usually, again, go back to the problem and the, the use case and the problem statement and say, what is the problem we're trying to solve? And what is the most important thing for us? 
Because in the end, even if I like Azure Functions, that is not the answer to everything, right? There's multiple answers to this question depending on the context. So um, Azure Functions definitely, and I know we talked in the past, um, we had one episode on logic apps and we briefly talked about building uh, similar things, exposing an API or a webhook or something to call uh, logic apps. And that might also be uh, kind of a low hanging fruit to get that kicked off and started. So Azure Functions for me offers more control. Logic apps is probably quicker and easier, but it depends. <laughs> I was secretly hoping you would say a virtual machine running Windows Server 2012 R2 unpatched IIS, old .NET framework, and using Visual Basic to create it. Running in your personal data center. Yes, that's <laughs> the purpose. I, I, I'm, I'm building the data center that I can finally run everything locally. Uh, okay, so Azure Function, definitely, uh, I, I think that's, that's perhaps the optimal choice here. Logic Apps, I like quite a bit because it automatically creates the API for you once you start building your orchestration and logic apps. And then perhaps uh, the couple of other options is just creating a custom API and hosting that in an Azure API app. So technically a web app that exposes uh, an endpoint over HTTPS. And the fourth option, if we discard the VM for now, the fourth option would be to create a custom API and host that in a container and perhaps run that container in Azure Container Instances or a Kubernetes cluster, or even within an Azure function. And this is bringing back memories when we built that custom API, we did the blog post. Was it three years ago already? It's some time ago, yeah. Yeah, so we built the custom API, hosted that in a, in a Docker container and exposed that uh, using Azure Container Instances. Uh, we need to put the link in the show notes in, in case somebody's interested in that. So let's say uh, we will be creating our custom connector, implementing that in, in an Azure function. So we're creating an Azure function, we're implementing the logic in there. Now we have a REST API built and that runs nicely in Azure. And in order now to provision the custom connector on the Power Platform side, we need to have the open API definition file, which we can create manually, or there's tooling that you can use to produce that. But once you now go to Power Platform, so you go to make.powerapps.com or powerautomate.microsoft.com. Once you go there, it allows you to click on data and under data, you have custom connectors. And in there you have a button named add. So once you click on add, meaning I want to add my custom connector, it has a number of options. And one of the first one is that uh, get your custom API from Azure. And this is in preview. It tries to automatically sense what do you have in Azure that could be used as a custom connector. You can also upload an open API file or import one from an existing API, or you can do everything manually. You, you fill out the forms and Power Platform aims to create the open API, the Swagger file for you. And here's the interesting bit. What I've been using now recently for a couple of projects is I'm pulling everything from Azure automatically. And what it gives you once you select your subscription, it gives you uh, 
allows you to select from an existing Azure function. That's the one we selected now. It allows you to pull from an existing Logic App or an API management instance. And with API management, you can now expose through API management your custom API, even if it's an Azure function, Logic App, or something else. And you have to use API management if your custom API is an API app, for example, or, or within a container. Yeah. So and what I also like about API management, it comes with, like if you're building a connector and you have different types of licensing, let's get back to licensing, then API management, when you build an API, you have this kind of developer portal that you can set up and you can also have different types of subscriptions in there. So if a customer is paying for a premium type of um, connector in this case, but um, you know, buying that as a service from you, this API, which might provide yeah, whatever it is that you're looking for, API management has a lot of those things built in as well. Exactly. And now with API management, there's the consumption-based instance, the serverless approach. So it's much more affordable for, for most needs. Uh, so typically what you would do now to sort of recap everything we've discussed so far, you would first implement your API, Azure Function, Logic App, something else. And then when you go to Power Platform, you either pull the definition from API management Azure Functions or Logic Apps, or you create the open API yourself. And I implied to this previously, that within API management, if you're exposing your API, there's a functionality to export the open API definition automatically for you. And once this is done, you click through in Power Platform, you set the icon for the custom connector. Uh, perhaps you add some, some uh, security-related settings in there. Are you expecting an authentication key or a license key or something else that needs to be passed from your Power Platform-based solution through the custom connector to your custom API? And once this is done, any of your users who are properly licensed to use custom connectors in Power Platform can now start building Power Apps and Power Automate-based automations. Click on connectors. And in the list of connectors, there's the built-in standard and premium connectors, the third-party connectors, and your custom connectors. And they can now select the custom connectors and automatically talk to your API without you exposing any of the details of that API. Yeah, and, very nice. And, and on paper, it's, it's super simple. But the challenge here perhaps isn't really creating the API, but exposing that to Power Platform so that you're satisfied with the settings, with the security, with the versioning, with the icons, the background colors, all of that, the, the, the sort of icing on the cake, if you will. And, and then your users will start using that. And later on, obviously, you need to figure out how do you upgrade that if, if your API evolves. Yeah. And in, in here, perhaps API management is your best bet. Yeah. So I, I like this. So what you talk about here is like how to build custom connectors for the Power Platform. And you know, to sum up my learnings from this, because I, I haven't done anything other than the you know, usual sandbox and, and playground stuff. Um, host it in anything like a Logic App, Azure Function, Custom API in Azure App Services or Azure um, API apps, 
um, an API via a Docker container if you want that. Um, use API management if you think this will be uh, something that lives on for a while, because then you have all the great capabilities. Uh, and I think we talked about that in a previous episode, perhaps one of the Azure Updates episode, that we talked about API management. And one of the great features is that uh, the endpoint of your API can remain the same for the user, but you can just switch out the backend. So if you at some point decide, well, this API can no longer be hosted in Logic Apps because now we need these super custom things that tie into our CRM system or our business system, which we can only do using custom code from an Azure function. You can switch your entire backend and let the API management version uh, or API definition remain the same. So nothing has to change for the user. And you can seamlessly, when you've then made the backend switch, pretty much just you know, switch API management to version two uh, same API endpoint, it's pointing to a new backend, and that's it. So you can kind of build this business uh, connector and you can expose it. And when it's live, you still have the option, especially if you use API management, you still have the option to fine tune things and, and develop things on the backend and change them, improve them, or even just change the entire backend from um, a container to an Azure function or from an Azure function to something else. And I, I like this, I like the flexibility, um, but it's good that you mentioned this because these are the things for me, if I look into the, the potential use cases I would have for building uh, connectors for myself, for our company or for our customers, this is something that I would like to understand before I just go off and build it and expose it and then create an API, host it in a function or whatever, here's the endpoint, here's the address, then realizing, oh, now, if I want to change it, the endpoint has been set. I'm not using my custom domain name. It's not using API management. It is tied to this one backend. And I might be limited in the, yeah, the agility I have to change that. So knowing these things at least helps me understand how I would approach it if I were uh, you know, diving into one of these projects. Exactly. And the, the key lesson for me definitely was in, in building this is, is the API is one bit. Then introducing that API as a custom connector, that's a different thing. And in between, you usually want to go with API management. We might need to do an episode on, on a bit more deeper dive on API management in the future, because I think there's so much functionality that's super useful for, for stuff like this. Makes sense. Okay, so let's not go any deeper into, into licensing. I, I think we've, we've talked enough of, of licensing today, but in terms of cost, what, what does it cost? Well, it costs you whatever Azure bills you for hosting those APIs, that's one. And then you need the license on the Power Platform side for your users, such as the Power Automate per user license, which obviously is per user per month. But that's that's really... The, the essence of, of the cost angle here. Yeah. I, I think this was all we, we were planning on talking about custom connectors. But before we, we close up the unexpected question, and I think it's my turn to ask you, Toby. Shoot. Uh, all righty. So this is awfully specific, but this is something that I think that Google or Microsoft or IBM or something else, uh, some other company used to ask this question from people who apply to work at the company and they somehow wanted to scope out how people approach surprising problems. 
So the question, how many ping pong balls can you fit in a regular size commercial airplane? And how would you estimate or calculate this without having said number of ping pong balls or the commercial airplane? Um, that's a great question. I never thought about pricingly. I never had that use case uh, come up in my line of business. So I, I mean, again, it depends, right? It, <laughs> uh, what is the capacity of such an airplane? Uh, what is a regular size commercial airplane, first of all? But if you know the volume, the next question is, does that include or exclude uh, things like the, the gas for the plane? Because that takes a lot of space. So is it an empty gas airplane with no fuel? And will you put ping pong balls into the fuel tanks? Or is it only the, the space that you can see as a passenger? And are the seats still there? Can you put ping pong balls in the stowaway uh, carriage system above your seat and under where you normally have a, a floating vest, a life vest? Uh, is that still there or not? So number one is figure out the capacity of the airplane. What is the capacity where, where you're allowed to and or can put ping pong balls? And then how big is a ping pong ball? And if you put 10 of them together, how much space do they take? Because there's because they're round, right? So if you put them next to each other, it's it's not an absolute in, in how much space it's gonna take. So you need to kind of group them together to understand a rough estimate of how much cubic it's gonna take. So calculate first what a cubic meter would uh, would take uh, in terms of ping pong balls and then figure out how many cubics is uh, gonna fit into that commercial airplane given all the variables I just asked about. Uh, and then just make the calculation. Maybe, maybe there's just a simple answer to that. But I mean, I would, I would probably approach it with the scientific uh, questioning and and challenge the question itself, because there is no, there is no factual, there's no number that you can answer to the question. You can only answer the question with additional questions. At least, at least in my mind. I I like the approach, and I'm thinking here that. Even if we could test this, uh, we would have an unlimited supply of ping pong balls and, and one commercial airplane. I, I have this feeling that if we fill out the plane with as many balls we can fit in there, I think you can always open the door. Oh, well, we can fit one more, even one more, even one more. And you really couldn't get a definitive answer. But perhaps the estimation would, would, would be something like this. This is it's like an IT project, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> you kind it's of estimate, and then the the product owner comes and say, "We just need this one more feature, and just this one more, and then just this one." <laughs> exactly. It's an estimate estimation between ten days of work to five hundred days of work. Depends. We'll see yeah, when we get somewhere there. in between. Yes. All right. This was fun. Uh, in the show notes, uh, we'll add some useful resources on on the custom connector introduction bit on Power Platform and also the API options and the blog article we did, I think three years ago on, on how do you build the whole, whole custom API thing in Azure. Yeah. And again, yeah, go ahead. Now, just to sum up that about the show notes, I, I did get a question uh, the other week about where to find the show notes. You can find them on controlaltazure.com. So on the website where the episodes are hosted, all the show notes are linked directly from there. So if you go to the episode on the website, everything is there. Good addition. Alrighty. As always, thank you for tuning in and until next week. All right. See you then. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. Thank you.